Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about selling transformation. Mm. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So before you jump ship, dear listener, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the process of getting to a place where you could or would want to sell transformation and what exactly that means. Um, Rochelle, just before we started recording, you had a great little anecdote about the sort of process of, of moving from sort of tasks to execution to expertise and, and so forth when you were doing uh, M&A stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I we were talking about this because we think there's probably maybe sort of kind of three stages of this. And and when I was doing M&A work, when I first started, I was doing it from a very technical perspective. I was doing a piece of it and I thought of it as a task. I mean, a really interesting task, but basically a, a series of tasks. And then by the time I got to the second one and I started seeing that, that the task I was doing had a lot of impact on the people. And I started to realize, oh, a merger isn't just um, this task. It's also how the people, the client are going to work with this in, in the end. And so I started just paying attention. I don't know that my work changed very much initially, but I started paying attention and realizing that if I did different things, like if you pull different levers, different things happen. And so it, it wasn't like an overnight kind of thing. It was a, a, an awareness at first. And then I paid more attention. And then I kind of experimented with different levers until I got to the point where I could, I really operated differently. I asked different questions. I interacted with people differently. It's like I was moving along that, that continuum where I could see the transformational effect that my work could have mm -hmm. if I approached it in a certain way. Right. Yeah, I, I, two two metaphors or analogies kind of leapt to mind as you were talking about that. Um, one is uh, learning how to play an instrument, which is a practice, like consulting is a practice. Mm -hmm. And when you first start playing guitar, the whole time you're looking at your fingers. Your your head is like looking back and forth from your left hand to your right hand. For you, you know, put your finger right here, and then put your pick down here, and then pluck the string and then look at your left hand and move your finger. And it's really, really introspective. Like you're looking, literally looking at yourself. And as you start to get more comfortable, you don't have to look at each individual hand. You can just maybe look at one or you can start looking at the music or you can start looking mm. up and just not looking at the guitar at all. And then when you get a little bit better and you, you've, you've got an audience, let's say, or actually all of this could happen in front of an audience technically, someone could be watching. Then you start to look at the audience, you're not even thinking about your hands. And then instead of just being like thinking about yourself, how do you look on stage, then you're, you're, you're looking at the audience to try to gauge their reaction. And then after a while, you start to play the audience and you're not playing mm -hmm. the guitar anymore. Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to get the audience as like a, um, almost like an organism to react in a particular way, the same way you're trying, you know, when you were just starting out, you're trying to get the, the guitar to react in a particular way and produce a particular sound. You don't care about that anymore. Like you, yeah, you know, you don't, you're not thinking about it. Like, yes, you care about it. You're not thinking about it in the forefront of your brain and be like, Oh, that note sounded amazing. Like you don't care about that <laughs> when there's 10,000 people in front of you and you're trying to get them jumping and that's all you care about. And yeah, and that is the, that's the, the sort of that's one pat, one sort of metaphor or example of going from this tasky, very self-centered, not self, yeah, self-centered. It's like you're just focused on yourself, yeah. 
and trying to get the instrument to do it, the the damn thing won't do it, and you're just trying to do it. It's frustrating, and when you finally can get it, it's great, but that gets boring after a while. And so, what's the point? The point is to produce a reaction in this audience, and that it reminded like what you were saying. You know, you know, you turn these different levers, and it produces a different reaction in the clients. And the same thing with software. You know, with software development at the beginning, I'm sure everybody's had this experience if they've if they've coded. The first time you make something work, it's like the most fist pumping gold medal <laughs> of all time. You're like, because you you know you go through days of keyboard smashing fury, and then finally it works, and you're so excited. You don't care if anybody ever sees it or uses it. You're just it's just a personal achievement. And then you start to do it professionally, and and people you know you're good at it. You feel you feel like you're good at it. Uh, people pay you money probably by the hour to do this activity that you enjoy engaging in. And then after a while, if you do it long enough, it's going to get boring because all the clients are telling you the same. Oh, if I make, you know, with me, it was the login, a login screen, like, cause this was pre rails. It was like, if I never write another login page, I'll like, it'll be too soon. Yeah. I was just so sick of it. I used to love it cause it was so interesting and there are all these issues and security stuff and all that. But then I got totally bored of it and you know, you wanted to move up to the next level just be like, yeah, okay. I'll have somebody else build the login screen. I'll just do a higher level activity. Like, you know, decide on the architecture or the UX or the overall features that will be included or managing the developers or finding developers or uh, whatever, you know, you get mm -hmm. a more high level. And after a while, it's like, you get these, these clients who come to you and they're telling you to build login screens and do, do the UX, you know, working with you to do the user experience. And after a while you're like, these clients are not experts. I'm the expert. I know I, they're, they're telling me the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, but how do you know it's the wrong thing? Because if you talk to them, it's not because they're not adhering to best practices. It's because when they share with you what they're trying to achieve, and then they tell you to execute in a particular way that will almost certainly not reach the outcome that they want. And then you're getting to the phase where you're, you're focusing on transformations and not, uh, yeah, not coincidentally, you're also to the point where you can start doing value pricing for projects because they're, you just, they're like, oh, we want it to look like this. And like, yeah, 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 whatever. What is the goal? What is the outcome that you want here? What is the business outcome? Do you want to get to a funding stage? Do you want to get to uh, first hundred paying customers or beta customers? Do you want to get to a public beta? What is the thing you're trying to achieve here? What's the, the next home run? What's the next win uh, milestone sort of that, that we could get to from a business context? And tell me about that. And don't worry about the punch list of features. I'll figure that out. And that moving from that stage where you're just like coding login screens and you're just like pumping your fist every time it works <laughs> over all the way down that road, it's a long journey. It takes a long time for your focus to shift away from your fingers and over to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I, the other thing that struck me as you were saying all that is that it's really tough to get to transformation if the client is telling you what to do. Like, I, I wouldn't take on a client who wanted to tell me how to get yeah. them there. It's like, no, 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 no. Well, Give what do you me. Need me for? Yeah, exactly. That's that's an extra pair of hands or an ex, it's an executor. Mm -hmm. And that's not what I do. Right. So yeah, but it's a process. I mean, you start out with, you know, pretty much, oh, what do you need? Okay, I'll create that for you. And then, you know, over time, you move along this continuum. Yeah, right. And so the, when and I, I encounter this constantly, 
when, because I, I have a, a sort of a hyper-focus, sort of a riff around a hyper-focused stage of this process. And it's, I, I sort of articulate it like this, you know, right now, or a lot of people right now, they're like, I do web design or I do wedding photography. Like they think I do this thing. I do this activity. Um, and the, the, what I want to open their eyes to is that you can start to see yourself instead of someone who does that or exclusively does that thing, that activity, you can instead look at yourself as someone who knows how to do that thing. And when you start thinking of you, when you switch your identity, sort of like move you up a level like meta, mm -hmm. it gives you way more flexibility about how you can package, package that expertise. It gives you the, the possibility of creating leverage and creating a, maybe a course or a workshop or um, some sort of ideation workshop or there's a million things you can do. Or right? people who do it for you. Yeah, right. So and that's that's just one sort of phase of the of the this larger sort of path to selling transformation. But that's a it's a mindset shift. And you touched on it when you're talking about M&A, like where all of a sudden you started to notice something happening in the other people that were involved and you weren't just thinking like okay here's my punch list of to do's for today i'm going to do them to the best of my ability and judge myself uh, on the effectiveness based on i don't know how you did it but with with developers and musicians it's has a lot to do with best practices or or um yeah it's, it's your craft it's your craft. It's like right. you want to do the best you can and, and whatever that best looks like. But to, that, Right. But in this stage, your best looks like better than the other people who do what you do, not producing better results for your clients. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting with the M&A thing. It's, I was doing a very particular technical thing. And, but what was so fascinating to me is I really quickly realized that it didn't matter what I did. I mean, yeah, it had to be right. Like if it was wrong, that would, you know, it would cost the, the client a gazillion dollars. But what really mattered was how the team that I was working with at the client used that and took it in. So if I came in and bulldozed and said, here's the answer, here's the answer. Cause remember, a lot of times these are mergers. So we have two parties and they're yeah, warring. Yeah. yeah, and they're not it's not always open warfare. A lot of it's kind of underneath the surface. And so mm -hmm. I was watching going, "Oh, what matters isn't that this thing is going to cost you 10 million dollars. What matters is which people are going to be alive at the end of the day to run this and are they going to be invested in this solution we came out up with?" So I mean, it just it it gave you, at least for me, it, it really early in my career, it just gave me this big, wide open understanding of, oh, it isn't the technical piece of what we do. It's how they're going to use it and yeah. how they look at interacting with, especially in mergers, with the, the other parties involved. Right. Yeah. Like the technical piece is table stakes. Like, yeah, you got to get it right. Yeah. You can't like blow yeah. your foot off. That's not going to work. But but the adoption, it you know, it reminds me of a side topic, a related topic um, about, you know, Peter Block, Flawless Consulting. And coming in as the expert, here are all the answers, uh, mm -hmm. see you later, bye, doesn't work. And I, I saw that time and time again, even in situations that were far less complex than a merger and acquisition situation yeah. where where people are, you know, there's all, probably all kinds of, of backroom, just all kinds of politics and just like crazy emotions running rampant and everybody's scared and 
even even when it's like a fairly focused initiative and people are more or less all rowing in the same direction if you just come in with all the answers it's the odds of it sticking are a lot lower than if you understand that the the technical the answer the technical piece is just the beginning of of the transformation it needs to be adopted they need to feel like it's a great mm-hmm. idea they need to, they need to buy they need you didn't buy in it's like a whole other skill and it's really hard to get buy in um, and it's very hard to get do value pricing and it's very hard to create good customer satisfaction and all these other things if you didn't find out in the beginning where the the basket was like what am i shooting for what is the goal so like it, it's t- epidemic problem with software developers that someone will come along and say hey i need you to build uh, a button that looks like this and when you somebody clicks on it, it's going to go over here and then on that screen they're going to enter their email you know and they get into this like this painting a picture of what they want the software developer to build and you know nine times out of ten it's either dated or or totally done solved problem stupid idea <laughs> you know what i mean because they're not experts at it. They're like a, you know, a VP of sales and they might have a great idea, but them telling you how to execute the software is a terrible idea. Like, mm-hmm. like the idea might be great, the opportunity might be great, but them micromanaging your expertise or your execution of the craft is a not going to be effective. So it, yeah. it's a little like what we were talking about before we started before we hit record because we were going to call this episode selling wisdom and that's what you just described is i'm going to sell you how smart i am but really what we're selling is the transformation in the client we're selling the outcome right yeah because yeah. that's why i didn't love that title because wisdom's the input yeah 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 and it's you know we were also talking about when you're at different stages in your in your evolution as a consultant or a consulting kind of person, an expert and authority, it's really easy to go, oh, transformations. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't do that. I don't do that. I focused just on this. I deliver this. And the thing is, when you start looking at transformations, and you will, because you will get bored, Mm -hmm. uh, like Jonathan described this career arc, you will get bored and you'll start looking at it. Start looking at it sooner. I mean, the sooner you start to see the impact that the work that you do has in your clients' organizations, the sooner you can ratchet up and have more impact, make more money, um, make the money in a more fun way, mm-hmm. you know, like like value pricing instead of, you know, hourly billing for something that's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. So it's, I just think it's to our advantage to find the transformational aspects of our work as early on as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Notice the audience. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones paying you. They they want you to be amazing. They want this amazing experience. They want to be transformed by the experience. But it's really scary to look up at the audience because there they are. They're looking right back at you. They're expecting yeah. something. They're expecting yeah. you to do like to, to not just to do something like they're expecting you to show up and play your songs and then, you know, have a good night. Thank you, Anchorage. It's it's. They want you to do, they want to have a memorable evening. If not, at the they want to connect least. with you. They want to have fun. They want to connect with somebody, either you or the audience. It doesn't matter. It's like they want to, they want to be transformed. They want to be transported. They want to have the, mo- the best night of their lives. And that's a ton of pressure. So like looking down at your guitar, i.e. looking down at your craft, whether it's coding or, or shredding, is like... After a while, I, I think ultimately you're only going to get so far if you do that. 
Like there are very, very few people oh, who are. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. If you watch any of the reality shows, like Idol is the classic one, they always have somebody, and it's usually a singer songwriter type that's looking down at the guitar. Mm-hmm. And the person is amazingly talented. They're writing their own material. They're, they're usually play multiple instruments. They've got a fabulous voice and they don't look up or if they do, their eyes are closed. Yeah. And the judges will always comment on those people and they never make it to the end. Right. Yeah. They, unless they can figure out, some of them figure it out and, and do it. But if they don't, they're gone. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I suppose exceptions exist, but I, I can't think of one. I mean, compare that to like, Bruce Springsteen, you know, just to date myself, but I guess he, he's in the public eye right now. Um, he's, he's the boss. Yeah, he's just like talks to the, like half of the show is him talking to the audience and telling stories and, and engaging with them. And I, I like this metaphor because it's, I hope, I, you know, most people listening are probably not performing musicians. And so it's really easy to look at someone else and say, oh, they're doing it wrong, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, or when, or they're doing it right. And to imagine, because in other words, uh, in this metaphor, most people listening to the show are probably the people in the audience and they don't want to just sit there and, and watch essentially a recording, you know, like, why are we even here? You know, like, what's the, you know, like, like, let's do this. Like whatever the, whatever the, the goal is, maybe the goal is to, you know, connect people in the audience, have a giant group experience. Maybe it's to connect with the, the artist on stage. Maybe it's to, um, you know, incite a, uh, a movement or whatever, whatever, maybe it's to make everyone cry or dance. But if you're not looking at the audience, you're not going to affect the audience and the audience is going to stop paying you. So knowing what the audience wants to pull it back to like a consulting metaphor, starting out, knowing what the audience wants, takes a lot of the fear away, you know, cause if you're, if you're, if you're used to just focusing on your craft and you haven't been paying attention to let's you know the value that you provide to your clients or why they're glad they paid you if you don't pay attention to that you don't get testimonials you never talk to them after the fact and and get in their own words why they're so delighted with what you did you don't know what you did like you know what your inputs were but you don't know what the outcome was so producing that outcome reliably is terrifying because you don't even know what outcome you're producing well and sometimes it can really feel like a nuance and it's there's the fear of asking, like, oh, my God, they're going to hate me. They're going to say something I don't want to hear. But there, a lot of this is nuanced. It's what you're selling in those transformations can be something that you have no idea you're selling, like yeah, confidence yeah. Mm-hmm. or the loss of fear or, you know, it's a, it, chances are it's a feeling. And if you're not used to dealing with feelings, it's going to be, oh, my God, I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, you just like I could just heard a thousand software developers roll their eyes. It's yeah, like, but <laughs> but everybody, every I think everyone can agree that anybody who's providing services wants their customers to be satisf- satisfied. Like that's the top goal, customer satisfaction. Nobody likes when their customers are like not satisfied. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to produce customer satisfaction, to produce satisfaction in your customers or your clients. And what's satisfaction? Satisfaction is a feeling. That is your that is your work product. Is it's what they say it is. Yeah, it's what right. they say it is. Right, which mm-hmm. is why you know not to go off on a tangent, but that's why it's important to be choosy about who you work with because some people yeah. are unsatisfiable. Exactly. Okay, so what are some other? I'm trying to think of some other fears or challenges or um, that people encounter along the way 
as they're you know they're at this they're at a stage and they're starting to get bored with it but they're too scared to actively move to the next stage what what would someone do who was maybe feeling really good like they feel like a master of their craft you know they've been doing it five ten years and they can they're not intimidated um, with the idea of executing something amazing so like they know that their deliverables are good mm-hmm. what what could maybe someone do or what sign are they going to see where there is going to trigger them to to start thinking okay i can make these amazing slide decks or i can make these amazing web apps or i can make these amazing photographs but is that it am i is that it from now on like that's all i'm going to do like what happens that causes someone to start to get to the next level what's the trigger well i don't know if it's the trigger exactly i think there's a there's a questioning process there's a curiosity about what happens beyond what you do. Because if, if you're not curious about what your client does with what you've created, you're not really going to go down this transformational path, probably. So it's that you start to say, oh, so I did that. I did this great thing. But gee, that client put it on a shelf. But this client used it. And then they told me how great it was. What was the difference between mm-hmm. those two? I think that's what happens is you start to go, it's kind of like, huh. And you start to go, huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it probably doesn't happen at just one point. I think it just kind of starts. And you, and maybe you've, you've seen this, the difference in how different clients use whatever you've created, but you didn't really care about it or you didn't pay close attention. And then when it gets, starts to get to the point where, the thrill is gone or some of the thrill is gone in the production of what you're doing. I think that's when you start to say, Oh, so how are they using it? What else could I do? And that can come from inside because you're unhappy on some level with what you're doing. It's not satisfying. It's not creative or challenging enough, but it can also come externally, which is how it happened with me, where I saw how people were using what I was doing and how I could change that so i think it can come from either place inside or outside yeah absolutely both of those things happened to me it, one happened first and then the other one happened second so f- the thrill was gone for me first where i was like this is this is just boring now you know and mm-hmm. um that was you know the my story about the login screen like okay never mind that's, <laughs> that's enough of that uh, but then later and then I moved into an advisory capacity. That was around the time when I started to go um, straight advisory and did lots of retainers. And that was fun for a long time because it was it was just the fun part of the projects. It was none of the yeah. none of the the debugging and testing and none of that. It was just like um, you know talking to the client, understanding what their business needs were, what they what their business outcomes they desired, and then working with their agencies and internal teams to architect it and design it. And then I would just like sit back and and they would do it. And sometimes they'd have questions and sometimes they wouldn't. Most of the time they wouldn't. So it was great. It was like just the fun part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but after um, a number of engagements, uh, you know, we're talking a couple of years, probably three years, I'm not sure, two or three years at least, uh, I saw the work getting shelved, you know? So like people would be be happy with the engagement like, wow, that was really eye-opening. That was amazing. That was really great. Handshake, handshake, handshake. Uh, you know, even even recommendations to other, you know, referrals to other clients. Like they definitely were happy, 
But then I started to not get happy because I'd go back to their website a year later and it would still stink. They, yep. they would have implemented nothing. So they just put it on a shelf, like you said. And that got that basically drove me out of consulting. Like that, that was the, the combination of those two things for sure. But uh, mainly the fact that I was advising people and they weren't taking my advice. So I was like, and then you told me about flawless consulting and I see what I did wrong. <laughs> right. It was my fault. It was my fault. I should have known you then. <laughs> I wish I had read that book 15 years ago. So, uh, because I was coming in with, all, here are all the answers. See you later. And they're like, wow, yeah. great answers. And then they just put them on a shelf. Yeah. So that, that was We've no all fun been for there. me. Right. And, and so I don't think I, having not felt that pain, I don't know if I would have, I probably wouldn't have believed that someone would uh, uh, explicitly pay for a transformation or that that I would be comfortable offering that sort of a thing, you know, because at, at the, you know, this is when I went into coaching and what is coaching all about? It's about transforming the, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, clearly it's a transformation. Yeah, that's all it is. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's tons of tactics and here's how you set up drip and blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's just mechanics. You know, you could, you could read that in a, on a blog post. The real thing is like getting in there and being like, okay, what are the blockers? This is a million things, but the goal, the, 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 the deliverable is the person, like the deliverable is the client, like mm-hmm. being in a better scenario. Would I have had the, um, it's not confidence. It's more like the vision. It's like back then before I had read Flawless Consulting and I was just sort of giving people what what they agreed was good advice. You were selling they, wisdom. I guess I would have called that expertise. But yeah, I suppose you're right. Because there, there was a lot of like, well, tell me the situation. And, and mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, you the word wisdom could be stretched to cover some of the stuff I did. But then them not implementing it, I ultimately, I felt like a failure, even though they were happy. Yes. Yeah. I wanted people using my stuff, you know. Yep. So I, you know, it became... I think that that combination of things caused me to be like, okay, to sort of like muster up the courage to go to that next level and say like, okay, I am going to take some responsibility for a transformation here. And it, you know, it's not a home run every time, you know, there's yeah. a lot of like, I can, you know, bring a horse to water, but I can't make a drink type of situations, which is equally frustrating, but the home runs are like the home runs make up for it because when, it, when you do, it's a different run, kind of influence. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that and we started off this way. It's like, this is a process. I don't, I mean, maybe some people are like immediately like straight to, um, you know, I want to transform the world or culture or individuals or corporations or whatever. And they just immediately jump straight past, you know, past, over the, the technical stuff and they're straight to the big thinking stuff. Maybe that person exists. Um, but most of the people I work with have kind of an engineering mindset. So they, they, they work their way up to it from, from a technical background and like a very rules-based background and it gets squishier and squishier, um, because there's so much, um, there's so much human involved. (laughs) It's like, it's a lot easier to play a guitar than to play a human, so to speak. That didn't really sound good, but. (laughs) 
Well, I think, I don't know that it matters if you have a, te- a technical skill or some other skill. I think most people, when you start out, you know, let's say you go to college and then you study something and then you take a job, which maybe is related to what you studied and you start learning whatever that was that you worked on. And, you know, so you spend a few years doing that and a few might be three or four, a few might be 10 or 15, right? Before you say, oh, okay, I either really like that and want to do it in a different way, or I want to work my way up in a corporation and I want to be the boss of people that do this. I mean, we make these decisions and I think some people, and I've met some, I was not one of them, kind of start out in life with a big idea. And you can just like looking backwards, you can see that it was always on their mind. They always had this idea and everything ties around it. Most people get there a little bit more accidentally, right? We have, we have the way that we're wired. We have the things that we're really good at, the things that we like, the things that we don't like. And then we have, you know, luck. Right. Stuff happens because of where you live or where you were born or, um, you know, what happens in your family of origin. I mean, there's all those different kinds of things. But ultimately, I think there is a path to transformation, to creating transformations for other people if we keep our eyes open and we're really curious. To me, that's what all this is about is like, oh, what happened? Or why did client X use this this way and not this way? It's, I mean, if we keep asking that, we're only going to get better and our transformations are going to get bigger and more powerful. Right. Which is then going to have a, a follow on effect with your business and referrals and testimonials and case studies and all of these things that, you know, people, you know, raving fans is a great thing to have. And if you, and if you, it, I just think it's more likely that you can produce raving fans if you know what the outcome is that they're looking for. If you start with the yeah. outcome instead of the inputs, like we want you to do this stuff, we want you to do this list of tasks, it's like, okay, but why? What are you trying to achieve? Like, what mm-hmm. is the desired business outcome here? Yeah. And if they can't answer that, I can't work with them. Like, and it's just impossible. I wouldn't know what to do. I would just be, you know, riffing, like, like playing awesome riffs, like, oh, you like that one? Yeah, cool riff, cool riff, cool riff. What's the point? What are we doing here? You're <laughs> just driving around in circles really well. <laughs> well, I think not everybody wants to buy a transformation. I mean, there are people who they they want an extra pair of hands. They want a job done. Oh, oh, totally, absolutely, right. And and you know, and that's great if you're at that stage of your business. That's the perfect client for you. That's mm-hmm. how you're gonna. Um, really learn and and test your chops and all that. But it's just so funny to me now that, you know, and I'm sure the same thing happens to you, Jonathan, is you have a conversation with a potential client and you immediately realize that they want like execution and they're not really looking at transformation. You're like, there's no sense in our talking here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to deliver what they want. They would be very unhappy. And plus their price sensitivity yep. is typically very different if they want execution versus if they're looking for a transformation. Right. And they might, I mean, it, it's not to say that they might not know what their objective is and they've got a great strategy and and they really only need execution. Like they just need a pair of hands to help them, you know, like uh, row the ship, <laughs> row the ship, no, row the boat. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like it's not that they're, <laughs> it's not that they're foolish for just wanting execution. Right. It, Right. We, we want what we want. I want execution sometimes when I'm asking people for help. 
Right. And it's actually frustrating because somebody will say, well, I can coach you through the process. Like, I don't want to be coached through the process. Right. I want somebody to just do it. Just do what I said, right? Well, I don't care how they do it. I just want the outcome to be what I want. And I want somebody to execute and take responsibility for it. So, yeah, right. that right. that happens. Right. Yeah. So, the the, the software scenario for this is when a developer, a hotshot developer will um, get hired by a CTO of a startup and, 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 you know, the hotshot developer has been like on my mailing list or something and they want to have a value discussion, like with the why conversation with the CTO and the CTO is like not having it. Mm-hmm. CTO is like, like, look, just here's the list of stuff. These are the features. Can you build them or not? And, <laughs> yeah. and like my guy is saying like, well, why do you want those? And what are they worth <laughs> to you? And why hire someone expensive like me? And, and this, but the CTO doesn't need that. The CTO is highly technical. They could probably do it themselves. And yeah. they've got a mandate from the CEO. They've got a strategy. Their VCs are involved and they know what they're going to do. They've titled the business conversations and hotshot developer guy that's on my mailing list is, is not going to have any luck value pricing that because they just want someone who's great. They want someone great to just bang this stuff out really quickly. It's not that they have no objective. Yeah. It's just it's just not up for debate at this point. So the the for a software developer, and I think this is true for any uh, anybody who's got this sort of um, craft or like mastery of a craft, and they want to uh, they're and they're trying to like move up the food chain, so to speak, to a higher order uh, altitudes of involvement with their clients. You don't want to sell shoes to cobblers. So like the CTO was you 10 years ago. They mm-hmm. don't need you to like, you know, newbie to be telling them how they should be running their their software startup. But if if it's, um, you know, a non-technical founder of a bootstrap SaaS or, you know, VP of sales who's got a great idea and is looking for a technical founder and they don't know anything about making shoes or whatever it is that you do, then they're going to be really open to the wisdom piece of your expertise. So like all of that experience and like, should I go with Azure, AWS, or, you know, like, should I cloud or on-prem, like big decisions. Um, Should we raise money or should we just try and bootstrap this? All of these things, if, if you are, um, if you find yourself constantly uh, failing in the sort of like outcome-based conversation and the why conversation and people are just, look, we really just want you to do what we're asking you to do. <laughs> it could be, it's a trap that software developers fall in because, um, because startups, CTOs at startups recognize how good you are at your thing. Like they know how good you are at your craft because they do it too, or they did it too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it feels easy to sell to those people because you're all on the same page about what a rock star you are. Where if you're trying to sell to somebody who runs a pizza place or like a VP of sales who's got an idea for a SaaS, they're not going to be impressed that you know Vue and Node and Rails and they're like, I don't. That's all like Greek to me. Yeah. I just want to know. Cares? Right. I just want to know if I can raise VC. You know, can you make me something where that I can go out and sell? And yeah, right. And so, it goes back to positioning, right? Because in that case, that was the wrong client target for somebody with that specific set of expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now it's all just spinning off of your your excellent point that some people do just want to pair hands. <laughs> so don't well, go after those people. Well, it's funny. It, it, the irony is sometimes you can convert them even without intending to. So I have a client who came to me after many years of being on my list and asked me to write copy 
for their website. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't just write copy. I do, you know, the strategy and positioning and all this. And I'm not sure that you need that. Um, it, and I looked at their website and said, actually, you do need that. But the question is, do you value that? Because it's going to be expensive. It's not going to be just writing website copy. And I remember the conversation. It was the weirdest conversation I had in a long time, but a great client worked with for a number of years. And basically they said, um, oh, you know, maybe I could use that. I haven't really looked at that for 10 years. What would that look like? And so I explained and I put a fee on it. And they said, yeah, let's do that. And then after we do that, let's figure out what the web copy should be. That never happens. <laughs> that never happens. Somebody comes in with a, a very specific list. But sometimes if you just listen and then you position it relative to how you work, and you say, well, you know, I don't know if this is what you want. This is how I would approach it. And, you know, I, I would have given them the name of somebody else that they could work with. Right. But that's not what they wanted. Yeah. So you're, you're raising a, an interesting nuance here, which is that if you are recognized as, uh, let's say, a, a hotshot Rails developer, um, you, you wrote a book on it, it was very successful, and you're known for that. The VP of sales guy that I was talking about before still might, you know, know that for some reason, if they want, if they send you an email or they call you or something, they know they need rails. So they kind of like a lot of times you can get someone, you can get what will turn out to be a really good client who's in that phase where they know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> you know, where the, the yeah. CTO of the startup isn't that person. The CTO of the startup knows more than you, like probably has forgotten more than you even know. So if, but if you come along someone you got this sort of knows enough to be dangerous person. They know enough to reach out to someone like you, right? And and if, yeah. you're, if your marketing is all about your skills, sort of a resume style marketing, then they're probably, if they're not way off base, there could be a really good engagement there. But you do have to pivot it from, uh, you know, them listing off a bunch of features or tasks or copywriting for the website or whatever and say, okay, okay, I could do all of that. Um, but why do you want that? And it's kind of, pivot them up a level. That's usually how the why conversation goes. Um, yeah. With me, it was always, uh, we know we need mobile and you're the name that keeps coming up. So, okay, let's talk. And they say, well, we need, you know, the checkout needs bigger buttons and, you know, like all this really tactical <laughs> stuff. And then I would push back and be like, well, who cares? Like, I mean, it's working now, right? Like people are using it, aren't they? And they're like, yeah, but the conversion rate's like, oh, the conversion rate, what's the conversion rate now? Conversion rate's like, eh, terrible. All right, well, what would be amazing if you could get, you know, and all of a sudden you're talking about numbers mm -hmm. instead of the size of a button. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're shifting the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what we learn. You know, it's this whole pay attention to what our clients are doing with what it is we're giving them. Mm -hmm. And as you do that and you combine that with the things that you like to do, that's going to tell you how you're going to move down the curve. Yes, and there's, a, there's an aspect to this that I want to pull out, which is that um, it's not so like that pivot is not you tricking the client into paying you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like it's more like you're doing them a favor because if you were the type of person to just do the specifics of what they're requesting, you know, like they're the passenger, but you're letting them fly the plane. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's probably going to end badly for them. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Right. So the, it's the backseat driver approach where like the, the cabbie knows how to get around London, but the person in the back is a control freak and is like, turn left here, turn right there, you know, and mm -hmm. it actually is a much longer expensive ride. 
So if you imagine that, that before you're going to take directions from the client, you need to find out if the directions are good or bad, because they could be good. They might already have talked to a strategist, you know, they might already have a good strategy. So you, it's really just validating that the directions that they're giving you are good ones. And, uh, and usually they're not, and you'll be like, okay, well, let's back up here. What's the big picture? What are you trying to achieve? Why would you invest all this money in a, even if you don't pay me, you're going to pay someone six figures to do this. So why, why would you do that? Why not not do it and help them uncover their real motivation, their real goals, the metrics they're going to use to decide whether it was a, a win or a lose and ultimately what's going to satisfy them. And then once you know that, then it's up to you to decide if you think you can contribute to that success. Like, is there yes. a piece that you can contribute to that is going to help them reach that transformation? And if you can't, then you say, you know, it's not a good fit. Maybe I can introduce you to someone else. Or if you don't want to, because it's way too tactical and they won't listen, uh, then you say, no, thanks. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll get like these amazing clients who, who are, you know, they're like, like, you know, just desperate for someone like you to kind of like help them along. Like you can tell right away when you find yeah. one of these people or when they oh, find yeah. you. It's it's the equivalent of walking into a a crowded room and seeing the one, right? <laughs> Our eyes met across a crowded room. Exactly, it was love at first sight. Yeah. Because you recognize each other, right? You recognize that oh, this is this is a person or a company you can really help, and they recognize that oh my god, this is the person we've been searching for. And oh god, I love when that happens. I guess yeah, I'm a romantic now that I think about yeah. it. I love that. Yeah, there's a, it's it's about resonating. It's about the the timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hear it with students all the time because they'll do the why conversation and they'll come back to me and they're like, "You wouldn't believe what happened," and I'd I'd be like, <laughs> "Try me," <laughs> because a lot of times you get that like, "Why are you asking me all these questions? I just want you to fix the website," and you immediately know that that's not going to be a good fit. But when it when it's uh, but sometimes when you have the why conversation, they're like, oh, my God, that's an amazing question. You're the only person who asked us a question like that. And they're leaning in and they're like, yeah, the conversation just flows from there. And they're like brain dumping about all the goals and all the high level stuff. And they completely stop talking about scope and features and details and tasks and tactics. And and the the student, whoever, you know, whether it's someone on my list or someone in my coaching program, they all say the same thing. It's like the the dynamic completely shifted to me being in the driver's seat, and in, and not in a control way, but like they're what they mean when they say that is they're so used to being on the defensive and pitching, and um, yeah, and responding to pointed questions like, "Well, why should we hire you? Your hourly rates and ducking, high. ducking, yeah, yeah, hiding, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, somebody's throwing a shoe at you. Yeah, exactly. It's it switches from that to like. A, a consultation they're like oh now i know what you're talking about they were asking my advice in the sales meeting so it's yeah. like pfft. yeah like that's that's where you're like okay this is going to be good yeah i mean i think it's sort of like campground rules right you want to leave um, them at least as good as they were when they met you and hopefully better and so to me helping a client think through all of that strategic stuff that you just mentioned, kind of the picture of where they're going and why and what are the outcomes, that's a gift yeah. that you give as long as they'll let you give it. I mean, they won't always, but it's you can leave somebody at that point, even if you can't help them. You've clarified it, and they will never forget that. Right. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that it was clear that it's this isn't some trick. It's not some sales trick. No, no, yeah. no. It's actually really fun, I think, because every client situation is unique. And it's not that we haven't seen, you know, some of those things before. But if you look at every client situation, there's always something that's different from mm-hmm. another one. Yeah. They're they're unique. And figuring that out and being able to apply the expertise that you built on other projects to this situation, I mean, it's fun. That's why we do this, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, it's kind of like the pinnacle of the service business. It's beyond the service business. It's turning into, as Joe Pine would say, the transformation business, where yep. it's a higher level uh, engagement. It's kind of like, it's kind of like farther up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And there's, there is a certain mapping there too, where at the base of the pyramid, uh, are commodity things like, you know, air, mm-hmm. food, shelter, you know, physical, physical stuff. And then as you move up to higher levels, the, the top is like self-actualization and that's, that's transformation. Like that's the tip of the pyramid. So, you know, is it, is it hard to attract clients who are looking for that? Yes. Is it hard to become well-known for that kind of a thing? Yeah, sure. Um, does it require pivots as you're moving down this, moving through this, um, like what you said, the arc of the career? Uh, yeah, it does. Is it easy? No. But if you want it easy, you wouldn't be doing, (laughs) you wouldn't have started your own business, you know, it's like. But I I think the other piece here is when you're delivering those kinds of transformations in your in your clients, there's also, at least for me, there's a deep satisfaction that comes with that. And it's a it's just a different kind of satisfaction. It depends on what motivates you. Everybody's motivated by different things. But when I see that change and I I literally feel how their life is different now. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's it's like a natural high. Totally. Yeah, I'm addicted to it. Yeah, yeah. that's my favorite. Like turning yeah. on the light bulb. Turning on my light bulb, the light bulb for me uh, is some is like my main reward for my daily list where someone is like, "Wow, I finally get it." Like mm-hmm. I finally understand. But even bigger is um with with private coaching students, especially when they're like, "Oh my god, that like, like when we successfully do a pivot from like, you know, like a technician into an expert or an expert into an authority and like leads are coming in, they're the right kinds of leads. Mm-hmm. They're, they're calling for the right reason. Their, their fees are like 10 X, like five to 10 times what they charged before for work that they'd much rather be doing. It's like, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, I've had clients cry, like in a good yeah. in a good way, yeah. um, because there was some visual that we did or some explanation of something that for them just cemented all the things that had been happening to them, and they had this insight. And it's yeah, I don't aim to make clients cry, but it's the tr- it's the transformation that is really powerful. And when you do that, whether you do it one-to-one or you do it with a group, it's powerful. It's a human connective experience. I mean, that's what a transformation is, I guess. Um, but it's, it's your witness to something that's really important and that helps the world get better. I mean, I, Listen to me now. I really sound like Pollyanna, but that is, that is, I know, but that's what it is to me. That's, that's what this is all about. We each do it in our our different ways. (laughs) 
You know, yeah. your your transformation could be that you help a technical person or a person in a technical role do their job better. So yeah. they get a little extra sleep at night. That's transformative yeah. to the person. Or get a promotion or get better at negotiation or stand yeah. up for themselves or what. Yeah, there's a million. You know, like, well, it's like you said, like, if that's what gets you off, then you're in the right business. If that kind of stuff <laughs> isn't your jam and you just not, you know, you just genuinely don't care about other people then there's still i mean there's still ways to make money that's the, that's know? the brain surgeon that's when you use the brain surgeon approach that we've talked about that's a, david maester one of his books talks about the four different kinds of consulting firms and mm. one of them is the brain surgeon you know where you you bring them in on a bet the business problem they don't have to be nice in fact mm. you probably don't like them they're probably brusque they're yeah. overly technical so yeah. there are there are some some areas where one can be the brain surgeon there aren't as many of those opportunities but yeah that's where that's where i would put somebody like that mm -hmm. right so if this is your jam <laughs> you know there there's a uh, i mean maybe i feel like i always want to give like actionable tactical advice about this but i think you know how to if you're like that and and you believe you buy what we're saying which is that people will pay for the transformation even a even a chance at the transformation like because you know the, to a certain extent mm -hmm. you can't guarantee the transformation you can you can set them up for success you can lead them to the the water but they still have to you know drink they still here yeah. you open the door but they have to walk through it so that's so from an from an actionable standpoint i guess it's a question of looking at what you're doing and being like well am i currently perfectly happy making login screens like i could just build login screens all day long or or web components or widgets or whatever and per be perfectly happy and paid fairly for it and i'm happy great stop there for now but once you start to get bored with that and you move mm -hmm. up to the next level where you want to do something a little bit more strategic just recognize that okay that's the that's the metamorphosis that you're going through that's the stage you're in and when you start to get bored of making widgets then be like okay now i'm going to advise people how to make widgets how to make better faster cleaner more uh, uh beautiful whatever you know and maybe not make the widgets but or teach other people how to make them or you know either from scratch or to improve how they're making them or to help people who manage people who make widgets do a better job managing those people and you're just moving up the altitude. And then if you start to see that people are loving your advice, but they're not acting on it, then you move up to the, okay, now we're ready for this transformation stage where it's like, okay, this is going to be weird and different and squishy, but I'm going to start paying attention to the audience and what makes them dance or cry or you know, hug each other or whatever, uh, or buy merch. <laughs> I was just thinking we should have, we should have a, a shop that has uh, inspirational posters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it has to be without those like little like I don't know birds and bunnies and stuff. It has to be something like really edgy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the visual person, so. Well, see, we combine my Pollyanna with your edgy, and we'll get okay. something interesting yes. as a result. <laughs> yes, something the demotivational poster. Uh, cool. Okay, so I suppose we've gone around back to the beginning on this one. Is there anything you want to yeah. end with? I, I just think. I just think we we I think we both want to be encouraging to people at any point on this arc. It's that if you you're at all interested in transformations, by all means, pay attention and you can do this in the earlier part of your career if you want to. 
right? And you don't have to do it if it doesn't speak to you. But the the more that we pay attention to the transformations that our work makes, the more we get to work at a higher level, we get paid well and more easily, and the work is going to flow more easily over time. I mean, initially, there's some challenges with it, but over time, flows a lot more easily, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, cool. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.